0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freedom Talks. This is Brady back with you again with Erin uh, Bufuno. She's been on some previous podcasts with us before. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about plantar fasciitis. Um, We just want to kind of go over... Uh, this topic, it's, uh, often a point of questioning we get from patients on social media, um, and on our website. So, um, we're just going to go through it quick, um, and get a quick, um, I don't know, educational podcast about it. So Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me again.
0: Anytime. Um, so let's just start with what, what is the anatomy of the plantar fascia, um, and I guess just where, let, let's get an idea of, of what it is so that we can address it from there.
1: So when you hear the term fascia, that is a type of tissue that we have all throughout our body that goes between all of our nerves, arteries, veins, muscles. It's basically the layer that's underneath our skin, underneath the fat, but helps encompass and keep all of our body tissues together in one place. Um, When our muscles and arteries, nerves, everything are in our body, they're not just free-floating. They do have to be confined to a certain area. So it is just a piece of tissue that helps keep everything connected. Um, With that being said, there are some ideas that there's certain fascial planes where there is one type of tissue that truly connects every single part of our body. So if one part of a fascia or piece is tight, it will affect multiple other areas on the backside of the body or on the front side of the body, again, just depending on where that tissue travels. Um, But when we're talking about the plantar fascia, that is just a really thick, fibrous tissue that travels along the bottom of our foot um, from your heel And then I explain it to people, it goes to the knuckles of your toe. So again, it travels on the bottom of your foot. doesn't go all the way to the tips of your toes, just to that knuckle or that pad or ball of your foot. Um, And that's about where it stops. So that tissue is made of like a thick form of collagen that it continues to kind of build up its thickness the more you walk on it because your body continues to sense the tension and strain that is put across that tissue. So it continues to thicken... The collagen, the tissue again, make it nice and strong so that your body can withstand the pressure of body weight plus gravity every time you put your heel down to the floor to try to walk. Um, One of the things that is kind of complicated is that your collagen, just like everything in our body, does change with age. So it doesn't necessarily replenish as well if it does get worn down. But because collagen is a building block in our body, the I guess, quality of that building block becomes less. So it doesn't have as much elasticity as it normally would. And as much as we want it to be a thick supportive tissue, we also need it to have some stretch to it. If there's no stretch, it's like every time you would jump, it's like jumping onto a brick wall is you want to have some cushion there to absorb the force, but not too hard of a stop to then again, just because then your body's going to have to take that force up somewhere else. Um, So, again, that's just kind of your building block of collagen that's important just to help, again, support the bottom of your foot. Um, But with changes, again, usually over as you get older or with modifications in exercise activity, um, any potential changes in weight um, can affect or increase or cause plantar fasciitis and cause irritation to the bottom of the foot.
0: So, uh, oftentimes patients come in complaining of pain normally starting towards the heel or does does it normally start towards that, like the knuckles of your feet as you explained it?
1: Good question. So most of the time people will say it's either like a sharp stabbing pain right in the center of their heel, or they'll say it's a little bit closer to their arch. So the starting of the plantar fasciitis is right on the inside of your heel right as your arch starts, as it's moving up towards your toes. So that one spot where it's just a thickening of where that plantar fascia begins is generally where the irritation occurs right where it attaches into bone. Um, so then again, that will either give you that sharp stabbing pain right in the middle of the heel or just as your heel starts to turn into your
0: arch. So uh, doing a little bit of research before this, essentially what I found online is that you are at greater risk for plantar fasciitis if you are female, are ages 40 to 60 years old, are obese, have flat feet or high arches, have tight Achilles tendons or heel cords as the website explains, uh, have an unusual walk or foot position, often wear high heeled shoes, spend many hours a day standing uh, or wear worn out shoes with thin soles. To me, this is a a large part of the population, uh, and I feel like we see it a lot in the clinic. Just, you know, I don't know the specific number, but just anecdotally, it feels like we see it a lot. Um, It's a common issue that I think plagues a lot of people, and the reason why they come in for it is often because they've tried things at home, um, and they're still getting that daily extreme pain on the bottom of their foot. So I guess what when the home remedies don't work or whatever they find online doesn't work, um, what does a PT do um, once someone comes in for the first time with uh, plantar fasciitis symptoms?
1: Um, I think the first thing I would say is if you're a person that's at home listening to this and maybe you've been Googling and again doing a lot of the home remedies is if your pain started in your heel and now it's expanded, That's kind of the point where you're like, okay, I need to go see somebody is like, yes, if it starts off in the heel, and it hasn't really spread from there. And it's maybe only been a couple weeks, then can by all means, if you're doing well with what you're doing at home, continue that. But there is a point where it can just keep going really fast. And I feel like unfortunately, we end up seeing people, there's never a too late it's just, we could have helped a lot sooner. And even if it's just a couple visits, like I, like sometimes if I see somebody for low back pain or a knee injury, I might see them anywhere from eight to 12 visits. And again, it just depends on the person and what I'm seeing them for, where sometimes for plantar fasciitis, if it's soon enough, I will see them for four visits or less is they just need a little bit more guidance on what to do based off of what their symptoms are and where it's coming from is a lot of what you would look up online is you just have to calf stretch and just stretch your calves, stretch your calves and everything will be fine. And in theory, yes, that is a good thing. But if you're looking at an age group, again, unfortunately it is more age dependent, weight dependent, and sometimes gender specific that certain, there's a lot of other factors that do go into, again, what would be causing the plantar fasciitis. So Things we would do differently is really try to figure out where it's coming from. Is Sometimes it's muscular, sometimes it truly is just that own specific tissue is irritated. Maybe there really is no other aggravation in any of the joints of the foot or any problem in the calf. It's really just that tissue got flared up and the body's having a hard time getting rid of the inflammation. Um, if you think about the foot, it's so far away from the heart that sometimes your body does have a hard time getting good blood flow down there. And our blood flow is what carries all of our like healthy tissue and healthy cells and oxygen. And that's what cleans out anything that's sitting there and irritating the tissue surrounding it. So the more we can get increased blood flow to the foot and help get some of the inflammation out, the better you'll feel long-term. Um, so again, the first thing is really trying to figure out what's the cause. Is it joint stiffness at the ankle? Because if your ankle's not moving enough... All the tissues surrounding it are going to have to make up for what your ankle can't do. Um, if your arch is stiff, so again, if you have higher arches, which just means your your foot doesn't collapse enough to basically absorb any force, any other stretchy tissue near your arch is going to have to take up that force. So that's your plantar fascia. That's your posterior tibialis tendon and then possibly your Achilles tendon, Um and then if you have flat arches, basically your foot's collapsing way too much and your body's looking for stability. So then your plantar fascia is the piece that's trying to give stability to that arch and just can't do it because every step you take all day long is anywhere from like one to 2.5 times your body weight just because of gravity. Like you don't think gravity that heavy, but every time you take a step plus gravity, it's double your body weight, basically. And then that's not even counting walking up a hill, which is more strenuous on your tissues, or walking down a hill because it's stretching all of the muscles on the bottom of your foot, all the muscles on the back of your calf, um, or even if you start to think about running, jumping, or fast movements, again, which are really putting more strain and stress on those tissues. Um, One thing we do utilize as well is dry needling. I'm sure if you've listened to our podcast before, we do talk about dry needling. I don't necessarily use it with every person though. I do think it's beneficial. But there is a trigger point that can be found on the inside portion of the calf in the soleus as well as in the gastroc. And sometimes if I'm assessing a patient and looking at their muscles, if I can reproduce a referred pain, so if I'm pushing their calf and I can actually cause pain down in their heel, then that's maybe a person we would consider doing the dry needling with is if I can't necessarily reproduce in it, it's not going to be my first thought of things we try. But if there is more of a persistent plantar fascia, plantar fasciitis case, then maybe if we've made no headway in a couple visits or very minimal, or perhaps maybe you feel relief for a day, but it doesn't seem to last longer than one to two days, then maybe we would do something a little bit. I don't want to call it invasive, but yes, we are putting a needle in your body. Um, but it does help with pain management and again, kind of help your body get rid of some of those inflammatory factors. Um, and then unfortunately, again, when you find things on the internet, again, not that it's wrong. I like. We Google things too, like when our dog got hurt, we were looking how to look up and clean our dog's eye out before we would take her to the vet. I know everybody, like it's a good place and a good educational place to go, but sometimes you end up doing things that are a little bit higher than what your body can do at that time. So you end up almost hurt not hurting yourself, it's just maybe prolonging your end result. So knowing when it's appropriate to start certain exercises can be like a really big key factor is usually I will scale back what people are doing by the time I see them and they're doing way too much, which is just aggravating the tissue more.
0: Yeah, so that's been kind of a prevailing theme uh, through the last couple of podcasts that we've done is that um, just like it's the small fixes, small solutions Uh, bigger problems, uh, the longer it's going to take for uh, everything to heal and get better um, and the longer treatment's going to take. Okay, so let's assume that um, treatment does go as planned and uh, treatment's starting to um, take effect and you're starting to feel a little bit better. Symptoms are reducing. Um, You talked about scaling people back to begin with to I assume give the tissues rest um, and and for those tissues to be able to recover. Um, Once those have bounced back, I guess what are the kind of return to full activity uh, plans that you have for patients?
1: So usually what we'll start with is it's been a little bit more complicated as most people are experiencing right now just with what the whole world is going through and a lot of people's health clubs have been closed. So I do feel like I've seen quite a bit more plantar fasciitis cases right now because people are walking and running outside on pavement a lot more than what they would normally do. So as things begin to open and open safely, I really... Have had a lot of people doing really well with returning back to the pool or a recumbent bike. So if you can bike outside safely, or if you can, if your health club is open and you feel comfortable going, like a recumbent bike is really good. Just to keep again, you're straining tissue and you're working on strengthening um, any sort of cardiovascular and endure or endurance training. Again, anything that gets your heart rate up for a sustained 20 minutes or longer is so healthy for all of your tissue and it helps your body get rid of things that our body doesn't want. So again, that's inflammation cells. It helps break them up and spread them out um, and hopefully your body will again deplete them at some point. But um, swimming, biking, and I guess walking on maybe a track just because it is a little bit more cushioned are good ways to just kind of slowly start increasing your activity. Um, But as a rule of thumb, generally with – plantar fasciitis, but also with knee pain, hip pain, at least for my patients. And this is my personal opinion off of what I've used in the past is I will tell people, um, we'll start in intervals is if they have been doing fine with walking, then I will let them do maybe four minutes of walking their standard pace. And then one minute of walking faster is if we're not quite ready to do the jog piece yet, or if they're noticing, Oh, if I'm walking around the house and I make a quick turn, I'm still feeling a twinge. Then that to me would be okay, maybe the springiness is not quite there yet. They're not doing well with a quick, agile change. So probably jogging would not be a good piece to start right now. So then, again, we would just do faster walking and slow walking because your body needs to continue to feel that tension and that strain to know it needs to keep that tissue strong. Is sometimes if you were to put somebody in a boot for a long time and then not wean out of the boot, which sometimes is something that they utilize with plantar fasciitis, if it's gotten really bad, they will put it in a boot. And then sometimes... Unfortunately, a patient is not educated on how to wean themselves off. So they've been in a boot for eight weeks and then they just go cold turkey. And if you think like that bot your that leg that's been in a boot has not been getting its full body weight, and if it has, it's been significantly supported to then going with absolutely no support is that your muscles and your tissue are just not ready to take on your body weight yet. And whether you're overweight, underweight doesn't matter. It's just your body can't handle that stress. Um, so... Going with the intervals is very important, again, to continue to stress the tissues. And then once you do finish an interval set for the day, as I'll usually start with 15 to 20 minutes perhaps, and then I usually will have people wait at least 24 hours to see how they feel. As you might feel like on a, being on a high from exercise the first day just because you're so excited that you're back to doing something and you feel pretty good. Um, But then usually like that high will go away and then within six to eight hours you might feel it or you might not even feel it until you sleep through it and then feel it the next day. So just to kind of take away any of those surprises, because then if you're like, okay, today went really well, I'm going to go walk 30 minutes tomorrow, then you're not really getting an idea of, okay, now are you hurting after your second walk of 30 minutes or is this just kind of a delayed pain from the first day and then that will kind of determine like your overall time and again figure out a good way to figure out to continue to figure out a safe way to progress your exercise so generally low impact low resistance just to start and again just continue to get your body used to the tissue strain especially if you've not been doing it Um, and then just making sure you have a relatively good supportive shoe to be able to do so.
0: So you did bring up footwear and the boot there. So it is one of the topics that uh, just personally I have a little bit of an interest in. So some therapists that I've talked to are obviously more in favor of structure. Some um, are kind of of a different approach where eventually they would like to wean more structure away from certain patients. Um, And it's not a one-size-fit-all solution to anything. There are different... um, situations that patients are in. Um, and there are also different opinions. Um, so I just wanted to get your opinion on, do you like to put, uh, patients, uh, generally more towards the structure side of the footwear, uh, spectrum, or do you like them to kind of go towards that minimalist barefoot shoe?
1: So just as a caveat for the minimalist or barefoot shoe is, no matter what, if you are trying to look into shoe wear or determine if it's a right shoe for you, um, we have always worn shoes as a society, so your body is used to wearing shoes. So most people, again, will kind of start to notice some foot pain when they're being barefoot around the house more more often or now it's getting warmer outside so people are either wearing flip-flops or not wearing any shoes and walking through the yard so your body again is trying to take force and absorb it only through your tissue and not through any cushion that is in an actual shoe so with there's nothing wrong with barefoot shoes as long as you are educated on how to go about weaning yourself into one is a bare so a barefoot shoe is basically a very there's very minimal support at all in a barefoot shoe and it's supposed to mimic your ability. It's supposed to be like being barefoot outside, but you just still have some protective layering over the bottom of your foot. And of course, just more socially acceptable than being barefoot in the community. Um, but when you have a barefoot shoe, again, there's no support. So your body has been used to being in it for years and years and years. You don't necessarily have the proper strength or the mobility for your body to figure out how to walk without that support. So, In theory, you really should wean into a shoe like that at least over a year, if not longer, um, because it really does take your body time to build tissue. If something was injured or just wasn't present, at the bare minimum, it takes your body at least 8 to 12 weeks to start to build muscle. So again, 8 to 12 weeks is three months anywhere from two to three months, and that's just one small area, not, again, counting any other pain, problems, anything else you experience along the way, and that's extremely focused strengthening. So if you're not even 100% focusing on strengthening in that area, it will take a longer time for your body to adapt. So, again, it is a, it can be a really good shoe for some people, but, again, it's something that should be taken um, not lightly and should be kind of gradually put into. For most people that I feel like when I'm seeing them, again, we're kind of talking in that 40 to 60 age range. If not, like, I feel like I'm seeing it a little bit more into my 60 to 70s just because people have been more active, which is wonderful. Um, but in those situations, again, depending on a patient's medical history of any potential osteoporosis or if they have a history of low back pain or knee pain is sometimes going into a flat, completely flat shoe like that is not really a good option for them especially if they have any other history of foot concerns, is some people really do need the good cushion of a running shoe. Um, So generally my rule of thumb for just the average person with a relatively average foot of they have an arch, but it has a little collapse, not too high of an arch, is that you should be able to take your shoe and fold it in half, just a little bit. But it shouldn't completely fold in half and be able to scrunch it into a ball, Is that's more going to be your minimalist or barefoot shoe is where you completely pancake the shoe in half. Um, but a shoe that has moderate or maybe a little bit more support, you should be able to bend it a little bit, but again, not completely pancake or fold it in half to where the toe part of the shoe meets the laces. That shouldn't happen very very easily. Um, but then again, I see patients that come in with some really, really stiff shoes that have no, like no movement to it whatsoever, which I generally tend to steer away from, is I think a lot of Online sites will tell you that's a good shoe to wear if you have plantar fasciitis because it reduces the stretch, but a lot of research in the past couple of years have said you need to maintain stretch and tension on it, so you don't want to have a completely hard-soled shoe unless, again, that's something that really helps your back or helps something else. Again, it depends on what other issues you're dealing with but your foot is made to move. So you need to give it the ability to move as if you're taking away movement from your foot. Again, your body's going to find a different place to put the movement or the stress onto. So just because your foot might feel better doesn't necessarily mean you're entirely going to feel better for a long time. And you might, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it works out that way. But again, your body's always trying to compensate and find a different way to work around whatever you're doing to it.
0: So I think that that last part really keys in on I think why there are a few different theories or I guess practices that different PTs will follow along the lines of because like you said, I think the PTs that are in favor of moving people towards minimalist shoes are mostly of the mindset that the reason we want you to do this is because we want you to focus on strengthening and we want to slowly make your feet stronger so that they're more resistant, right? But some people just aren't never, ever going to get there or put the, the, the time and effort forward, like you said, to mm-hmm. to doing those exercises or focus on that aspect of things. Um, and so it's it's a very variable thing, uh, and it it's highly patient-specific based on what the situation is.
1: And that's the hard thing about plantar fasciitis. And truly, I mean, about everything you treat, but I do feel like... With plantar fasciitis and just personally, I think Achilles tendonitis is one, the same treatment does not work for everybody. And like, I would say that's more plantar fasciitis than truly anything else is some people really think that a night splint works well, and on some people it makes them way worse. And there's no rhyme or reason. Um, Again, it just, some people's body respond to certain things much better. And there's so many environmental factors and just personal history factors that go into it. And you might not ever... I might never figure out what that is, but that's where I think plantar fasciitis can be so frustrating is because you think you've exhausted every option, but there's likely likely one other option, one other thing that hasn't been tried. Um, so it, again, it's really frustrating. Sometimes it can just take a really long time to get through too. Um, and I think that's why it can be even more frustrating is it's not... Some, yeah, sometimes those people do get better in four visits, like I mentioned earlier, and I'm seeing somebody right now that's had plantar fasciitis for over 10 years, but thankfully like they were somebody that dry needling worked really well with. So now their symptoms have reduced like over 90% and the best they've been in 10 years. Again, that's not every person, but again, there's always another option. There's likely something you haven't tried. Not that you need to bark up every single tree that you cross that potentially somebody has some plantar fasciitis cure for you, but it's always worth doing some education, doing a little background like knowledge, and again, just further education for yourself before you continue, again, exhausting other options.
0: All right. Um, well, I think the big takeaways from, from this is that consult a physical therapist or consult somebody about it, uh, not just the internet, um, and do it sooner rather than later so that you don't have to live with it and that hopefully it's a quicker fix than that. So Aaron, I appreciate you coming on uh, and giving us a little education. You're welcome. All right, everyone have a good day. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, an independent provider of comprehensive physical and occupational services. No matter how challenging your issues, if other treatments have failed, we are determined to help you heal, starting with the very first visit. Four convenient locations in the Milwaukee area. More information at freedompt.com.